Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Did you know, on average, heating your home makes up 82% of your energy bill? Installing a smart thermostat could save you a lot of money and be good for the planet. Honeywell Home have been making the home smarter and more comfortable for over a hundred years and their trusted smart thermostats help you get control wherever you are. And because they work with Google and Alexa, you can simply change the heating with your voice. Installing a smart thermostat doesn't have to be confusing or time consuming, so why not visit getconnected.honeywellhome.com to find out more. Hello and welcome to the Pocket Lint Podcast by Honeywell Home by Residio, making the smart home simpler. The big news this week is that Facebook is set to get involved in electronic payments. That's right, not content with being a key global communications player through services like Instagram and WhatsApp, it's now gunning to be a key player in the financial world too. According to the social network, Libra, as it will be called, is a new cryptocurrency that you'll be able to use to easily make payments via a standalone app, WhatsApp or Messenger. But how will it work? Is it a good idea? And can we really trust Facebook with our money, given its past history with our personal data? Dan Grabham has joined us to explain more. Later on in the podcast, we caught up with Lee Armstrong, CTO of Planefinder, a website that tracks thousands of planes every day as they fly through the sky. And keeping with the up in the air theme this week, Cam tells us his top three drones to buy. So Dan, how does Libra work? Well, it will work very similarly to as you would use PayPal at the moment. So you can pay people um, via an app or, as we mentioned in the intro, um, via Messenger or WhatsApp. Um, and presumably you'll be able to do it in Facebook itself. So you, Libra is actually an a, a umbrella organization that Facebook has set up, but it's, it's got other people on board, including PayPal, actually. Um, and also Visa and MasterCard. So it's actually going to be quite widely adopted, we think. A lot of people initially thought, oh, this is a Bitcoin alternative. Is is that the case? No, not really, because it's going to be backed by by proper currency in, in inverted commas. It's it's the it's going to be sort of more of a, a traditional a traditional type of currency, really. And you'll, it's it's basically the whole concept about it is to bring um, payments on your on your phone or other device to people that can't currently use those payments. So um, people in developing countries that might not have a bank account, for example. Um, but also um, we we in a, a country like the UK or the US will be able to use it in just the same way as we use other currency. Do you think it's very much a, a, a sort of currency aimed towards uh, America? Because I know obviously their banking system isn't necessarily as exciting as us. I know they're only just getting contactless payments on some of their transit systems, for example. A lot of people still pay by checks. And so therefore, an idea of a, a digital currency would be more exciting. Or is there a bigger global play here? I think there is a bigger global play, but I think definitely... Um, to start with, we'll see a lot of um, a lot of the, the kind of publicity as such around around bringing yeah mobile payments to to the US basically, um, and and contactless as contactless styles of payment as well because um, obviously as you mentioned they they don't really have very much contactless there um, and 
really it's you know whereas in the uk we're so we're so used to say on tapping in and out of public transport with contactless and that kind of thing um it just doesn't exist in the the us and we've seen um a little bit of that action around apple pay obviously and apple card as well some of the the kind of statements that we've heard from apple you know are designed to appeal to an audience in the us that actually just isn't used to to paying in 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 the modern way that we are in europe and so the idea is uh, you'll transfer money in and then use that to buy other things or will people be able to pay you in Libra credits or? All, all of those things, basically. Um, Facebook is actually, so there's two, there's two sides to Facebook and Facebook's involvement. One is in Libra itself, the, the umbrella organization, but also uh, Facebook are creating a subsidiary as well called Calibra. Um, not oh, I see what they've done there. Yeah, exactly. Not that's not going to be confusing at all. Um, and that organization, that organization is basically um, going to be behind an app that will be like a digital wallet. So yes, you would pay into that just like you would into PayPal, um, and then you'll be able to yes send payments out to other people. And obviously, longer term, they're hoping to make it more like a online banking app. Um, or a, a mobile banking app like Monzo, um, they're hoping to sort of make it like that, so you'd be able to pay your gas bill eventually using it. And what do we think of the negatives here? Is there, uh, you know, I've seen some articles suggesting, you know, uh, as I said in my intro about Facebook and being able to look after our data and our, our sort of personal data with the sort of Cambridge Analytica staff and and things like that in the past. Do do we think that there's going to be safety here as well? I mean, it, it's in, interesting, interesting because Facebook have ring fence this organization as such the uh, after the initial phase they're not going they're going to have the same voting rights in the actual association of libra um, as paypal or visa or mastercard or spotify who are also involved um so they've kind of they're kind of trying to distance themselves from the umbrella organization and also as i mentioned calibra is going to be a a, a ring fence subsidiary of, of facebook so they are trying to distance themselves because obviously they know that there's been a load of negative publicity around around obviously all the security stuff and uh, the, the the data leaks and whatever that we've seen over the last well couple of years really. But I think you know it's it's gonna that they have they have got a challenge there to actually um, to actually encourage people to to sign up for this platform because inevitably the publicity will be oh this is Facebook owned. And do you think, because there are so many companies involved, do you think that this is likely to be the only company-run digital currency that we're going to see? Or do you think that we'll suddenly see an Apple currency coming or a Google currency coming or an Amazon currency coming in the near future? I think that's pretty possible. But you'd have to say that because you've got some pretty big names involved in this association, you know, Visa, MasterCard, PayPal, Lyft, Uber, Vodafone, Spotify, um, and of course, Facebook itself. You, you have to say that it's more likely that other organizations might join them. Um, certainly, as you mentioned, Google, for example, uh, if they were to join up with, the, with with this organization, then obviously that would be, you know, pretty huge, really. Um you know apple's background generally they'd want to do things themselves so there's a there's a another side of that i mean i'm sure we will see competitors it's whether they can do it on quite the same scale 
Still to come, Cam tells us the best three drones on the market right now. With all that technology built into these drones, there's so much you can do with them, but also it makes them incredibly easy to fly. Well, we've all done it. Looked up at a plane in the sky and wondered where it's off to. Well, one person took that idea with a couple of friends and turned it into a fully-fledged business. PlaneFinder, which can be found at planefinder.net, tracks around 18,000 flights across the globe every day, not only allowing the likes of you and me to see where a plane is heading, but also allowing the airlines to track their fleets too. We chatted to Lee Armstrong, one of the co-founders of the company and the CTO at Apple's recent developer conference earlier in the month to find out what made him and his friends come up with the idea, how it works and what's next for the company. We're a flight tracking company based in the UK. Uh, we've been going for 10 years this year and we've got successful apps for iOS, Android and a website. It is called PlaneFinder and people can find it on planefinder.net. What does it actually do and how, how does it work? Give us some background. of Sure, so without getting too, too nerdy, um, the planes are broadcasting out where they are and they're doing that for air traffic control. And we have a, a network of thousands of receivers all around the world picking up this information. And then we plot it into friendly formats. So we've got a 3D app, we've got it, uh, our iOS app, which has it on a map. And you can literally just see where the plane is. And when we first started, we didn't think who would use it, but it's, it's you watching your granny going on holiday to Lanzarote or whatever. It's, there's, there's something magical still about aviation and people just, it captures them. And so what made, is that what made you get into it in the first place? Did you think, oh, I wonder where that plane's going? Or what, what was the sort of inspiration behind it? As well as being a tech nerd, sure, I'm also an aviation nerd. So it kind of, it was the, the mash of both of them together um, and just a bit of hacking and right place, right time as well, really. The app store was a different place 10 years ago. Um, but yeah, fantastic. And so you, you track the planes. There's obviously thousands. How many? Must be thousands of planes. Uh, yep. So we, there's about a million flights uh, every day. Oh, sorry, every month. Sorry, exaggerating that there. Um, but yeah, any type peak times um, because there's the US's peak and then the U UK as well and Europe about 18,000, 20,000. And we've got gaps. You know, we've got gaps in coverage in in Africa uh, in remotest, darkest Russia. So there are other planes flying that we can't track. And so you're saying that the planes send out this information. They do, yeah. How do you pull that data in? Because again, the, from a very geeky point of view, the mm. data must be massive. That's be sort of huge amounts of data piling in. How do you, it's, it's all real time. It is real time. So, so how do you process all that? So twice a second, they're transmitting, bleeping out this information. Um, and we've got receivers that we've designed. It's hardware that we've designed ourselves uh, using FPGAs. Um, and they decode the information locally and then stream it to our data center back in the UK. So you've installed beacons effectively Absolutely, yeah. around the world yeah. that kind of picks up these pings. Decodes it. Decodes yeah. it, sends it back to base yeah. and, then, and then works it off. And so from a consumer point of view, mm -hmm. obviously that allows you to have fun and see where someone is. Yes. Uh, there must be a business application for all this. What, how does that? There is. So we didn't think this at first, but um, uh, quite often now airlines are buying our data. So you know, think of Malaysian Airlines, uh, that tragic event where they didn't know where the plane was. Um, we know where most of the airlines' planes are. So airlines are a big customer of our data because they now need to, as a result of Malaysian Airlines going missing, um, there's a mandate that they have to know where their planes are. So that, that is a business use for it. And so do you have the beacons like just floating around in the sea? As I'd well? love to. I would love to. And, and do you, how does that work? So no, at the moment it's all terrestrial. So they're all land-based. But you know, with Elon sending up his satellites for the internet for all around the world, there's nothing really stopping us from having a solar-powered buoy out in the middle of the Atlantic Pacific picking up this data. And 
Do you just track planes? So we do ships as well. Okay. Um, and that's what we started with actually, because like we live in Portsmouth. We're all based around Portsmouth area. Beautiful scenery, beautiful ships. So yeah, uh, we do it with ships. But planes is more interesting. Planes is more popular because I think you've got to be by the sea to see a ship, and and you know there's not everywhere you can do that. Um, and all you've got to do is look up, look up to see a plane. You know we're here in San Jose today, and there's planes flying in every you know, thirty seconds, but one minute. And so you can obviously sit online. Uh, on the apps and, and things yeah. like that. You've Augmented Realities talked a lot about here at, at WWDC. Yes. Is, can you do the, you know, point the phone at the... At the yep, so we did that and... 10 years ago, um, and that's kind of got us some infamy. Um, we were accused of being terrorists by good old Daily Mail and CNN and things like that. Um, but once all that calmed down, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's a fun application. It's not really a real application for it. Um, and then when uh, Apple released ARKit a few years ago, we did, um, so you can put it on the table and, and like walk around and, and view it. So that was a different use of the AR. And do you feel that AR is is where it's going to head towards or is it from you, it's still a very top-down map kind of experience? Is there, you know, we hear lots of examples of AR, and, mm. and but it's, it feels very much like it's still in its infancy and as we're trying to work out what, the use cases are and things like that. Yes. Is there a use case for Plane Finder with AR? I think so, because if you think about it, the data is very three-dimensional. You know, planes aren't just in a, a coordinate, a latitude and longitude, they are in an altitude as well, they've got height. And when you're looking at it on a Google or an Apple map, it looks very flat and you don't get that perspective. So using AR to kind of walk underneath them, like walk around them, and you get that perspective. And, and whilst it might be maybe a consumer, uh, nice thing to see there I can see some business applications of you know analyzing stacks and holds into Heathrow or things I suppose like kind that. of like a, a map that's got a height dimension yeah absolutely. on a table yes. kind of as the as you know you yeah. go across Heathrow and we've got and they, that so they all kind of come flying in yeah yeah and we've got that it's called plane finder 3d and do you think that what's if you do ships mm -hmm. and you do planes is there anything else that you want to track yeah, so we've, we've always wanted to um, do the trains in the UK. Um, you've got all these train time apps which tell you where it is, sorry, what time it's going to be into the station, but I think there's something tangible about being able to see where something is on a, on a map or a line or what the queue or the order is, and we've always wanted to do it with trains, but I'm not going to go into that. That's a, uh, a whole different ballgame. I mean, that's very, uh, you know, train spotting and, and yeah. all that kind of thing. That's a very sort of... I shouldn't say geeky or nerdy, but I will. You but will. it's that it's it's you know that sort of urge to take in as much information of that kind of yes. stuff is is probably you've yeah. got to probably get a product right before yes. before that happens. Yes, absolutely. And we thought you know like plane spotting is also you know quite nerdy and geeky, and we thought we were not going to get many users, but we've got millions and millions of users all around the world now. So it's not just the nerds, the geeks. It's it's you and me. We're like looking at holidays. And there's a lot of chat at the moment. Um, about drones, mm -hmm. certainly in the UK, about autonomous drones and un, uh, unmanned traffic management systems yes. and all those kind of things. Does that fit in? Does that does that fit into your system as well, or do you do you get to a point where there's just too much, too many things you're tracking, and therefore the maps just become impossible to see because yeah, there's just too much data floating around, literally. The, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, there is. Um, yeah, drones are an interesting one. Obviously, thinking about Gatwick um, over the last few months. Um, I think there's a lot of talk in the industry at the moment about different standards. They all need to talk the same protocol. Um, that's For us, it's ADSB. It's what the planes send out. And it would be great if the drones did that as well. And there's movement, especially in the UK, for them to talk that language. And that way, everyone's kind of 
talking on the same system so the planes can see the drones, the drones can see the planes and air traffic can see them all um, and as a nice side effect we can see them all as well. And do you see, what's, what do you see is the future, you know you talked about you wanting to do trains but yeah. from, a, from a plane perspective from, from customers using mm -hmm. the app, what, what, where's, where's the thing that excites you the most going forward? So for us uh, it's quite sad but the gaps for us are over the oceans, we can't track the planes there, we guess where they are, we estimate them. Um, and we need to fill those gaps um, and our airline customers need to fill those gaps as well um, and, and there are people that are putting satellites with our receiver technology on um, but as you can imagine they're not cheap the satellites so the data has a, a price tag associated with that as well. Now we're at WWDC, Apple's big developer conference, mm -hmm. you're obviously been a developer for a long time yep. on the Apple platforms and stuff, what's really excited you about this week? from the keynote and, yep. and stuff like that. So from a developer point of view? Yeah, just yeah. What, what sort of looking at it thinking, oh, that's going to be, that's going to make my app amazing. So, or... so sadly it's the, it's called Swift UI and what that means for us is that we can write um, code once uh, and it can be on any platform. Um, and I think that's something that's been coming for a long time. And what that means for the users really is that, um, is that we can write a consistent product across all the platforms. So if you buy it on, the iOS, on your iPhone, you can have it on your iPad, you can have it on your Mac. And I think people are starting to buy into this, this ecosystem of Apple. There's a lot of it. You know, Apple are trying to drive these services. Um, and you know, you're sitting there with your Apple Watch as well, sure. We're all, we've all got everything. If you buy one thing, you buy the lot. And we'd like to be on all those platforms, um, just like TV as well. Cool. And do you, is there anything that they didn't announce that you would, like, you would really like? What's well, kind of the feature you think, ah, oh, if only they added this? Well, it, I, th I think it's, it's ARKit. Um, it's, it's great. And it, it, I can see where it's going. Um, I want them to release some hardware. Um, I've had a Google Glass for years and years and years. And for those that you don't remember it, but it was that creepy thing with the prism um, with a camera um, and it was great you know but it could only read emails it could read text and, and take pictures but yeah some full-on glasses full-on augmented reality that would be fantastic and I think that's where ARKit is heading. Whether it's wanting to see the world from a bird's perspective filming up on high or merely having a bit of fun there is a multitude of drones to choose from we've seen them in nature documentaries in news coverage in hollywood blockbusters and obviously you can get them at home as well but with so many options from so many different manufacturers what's the best one to go for to walk us through the plethora of choices available i'm joined by pocket contributing editor cam bunton who has joined us to give his top three drone recommendations for anyone keen to take to the sky Guys, these are the best drones to buy right now as chosen by Cam. So, Cam, with all that pressure upon you, what is in at number three? So, number three. So, before I start, I think for my own personal preference, I think the only company really worth looking for, looking at rather, when you're choosing a drone is DJI. And there's a reason for that. They have stuff at different price ranges, but they also they do a lot of work in terms of the technology. Uh, advanced technology in terms of shooting mode, so autonomous drones that can perform incredible various different angles and shooting modes so they can circle around an object automatically. You don't have to control it manually. They also can avoid danger using sensors on various sides of the drone. So in terms of that kind of technology, and also they do a lot of work in, in the camera as well, so they can automatically track objects. So with all that technology built into these drones, there's so much you can do with them, but also it makes them incredibly easy to fly. Um, and so with that said, I think the one I'm putting at number three is 
probably one of the more popular ones, and that's the DJI Spark. Uh, and the reason for that is because it's the most affordable of all the drones that they offer at about £500, but it's also the smallest one they offer. So if you're a little bit nervous about flying your first drone and you want something that's easy to carry around, um, then the Spark is that drone. It's also a really rigid drone. Um, it doesn't have any folding parts or moving parts, um, so it's not going to break easily either. But at the same time, it still has some of those advanced technologies that you might find on the more expensive ones. Uh, and you can even fly it without a remote control. You can just let it take off from your hand and then catch it again, <laughs> almost like using Jedi powers. You sort of wave at it and it controls the drone. And while it's in flight, you can get it to look at you by doing certain movements with your hand towards the camera. Um, so it's a great place to start and it's it's really good fun. And because it's small and well-made, you're not going to worry too much about whether you're going to damage it. Okay, so that sounds like a really good drone to get you started. What's at number two? So number two uh, is called the Mavic Air. And again, this is from DJI. And what I like about this one is it's one of my favorite ones. And it takes sort of the the portability from the DJI Spark. It's still a really small drone, but it pushes it more towards the pro-level stuff that we've seen in the bigger drones. So the arms fold in really neatly so you can just fit it in the side pocket on your backpack. But it also has the three-axis stabilizer, a physical stabilizer that's really, really tiny on the front of the drone that the Spark doesn't have. And so that means that when you're shooting, it's really, really stable footage, and it's not that artificial sort of stabilization that you see in phones sometimes. It's a genuine mechanism that stops the camera from shaking about too much. Um, it also has three-way obstacle avoidance. So that means from three different sides of the drone, it can detect danger, move away from it, or stop going towards a tree or a cliff. Uh, and it shoots in 4K video and can fly up to 21 minutes, which is a lot compared to what the Spark is able to do. So what I love about this one, in short, is that it, it is that pro, almost pro-level drone, but in a very, very portable size, the size of no, not much bigger than your palm. So it's a, it's a lot of fun to use. It's a little bit more advanced than the Spark, but it's a really great drone. Now, if the fairy godmother were to turn up and offer you the chance to buy any drone on the market cam, what would you go for? So my top drone is one that I haven't been able to stop thinking about since I was able to fly it last year. It's a fantastic drone. It's the Mavic 2 Pro. And what I love about this one, now the Mavic series, for those who don't know, when it first launched, the Mavic series was about offering pro-level video stills, but in a foldable, portable package. And what the Mavic 2 Pro done is the second generation. And what they've managed to do here is just make an incredible drone that's got some really, really high-level camera equipment on the front. It's got a Hasselblad camera on the front. Wow. And Hasselblad are obviously well-renowned for making incredible cameras. So it can shoot 4K video. It can shoot HDR. It does amazing still photography. It can fly up to about half an hour. And it's got this one-inch 20-megapixel sensor in it. So it's an absolutely massive sensor for something this small. So in terms of camera performance, uh, it's got some of the technology, basically, that's like some of the, the bigger drones that uh, DJI used to do, like the Obsidian, the, the Phantom Obsidian. But then that was an absolutely huge thing that wasn't easy to carry around. It couldn't be folded up. And so they've taken 
the, the camera from that and put it into a drone that's again it's quite small it can fold the wings up and again you can just throw it in your backpack and take it with you anywhere but also what I, what's really fun about the <clears throat> about the Mavic 2 Pro is all the quick shot modes and so you can select your target on the screen of your phone while you're controlling it and then you've got all these different kinds of flight modes so you can have it circle around you or shoot up in the air and create this sort of tiny planet effect uh, or just have it follow you along and also it can not only avoid obstacles but it's smart enough that it can navigate through them if they're not too high so if you're pushing the drone forwards through some long grass for instance it'll sort of move away from the grass staying really stable really low down without stopping because it's sensing danger so yeah that's um that mavic 2 pro is definitely my number one choice if i could have any drone that's the one that i would choose so let me just to recap. So at number three is the DJI Spark. At number two is the Mavic Air. And at number one is the Mavic 2 Pro. Thank you very much, Cam, for your advice. Well, that's it for this week's show. New episodes of the Pocalimp podcast will arrive every Friday with more news, interviews, and buying guides for you to enjoy. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please let your friends and colleagues know. And please rate us on the podcast platform you're listening on. It really will help others know you like it too. Until next Friday, pip pip. <laughs>